Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. What Was That Like contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is the show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. In the United States, one in three women have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. Alyssa Moore was that one out of three. Alyssa lives in Tennessee, and she's a musician, a songwriter, and an audio engineer. She was also the victim of physical and emotional abuse from her boyfriend, Jared McLemore. One day, at her request, police put out a warrant for his arrest. That night, while she was at work setting up audio at a bar called Murphy's, which is in Midtown Memphis, Alyssa got a notification on her phone that Jared was doing a Facebook Live video. What she didn't realize is that Jared was doing this just outside the bar where she was working. Within a few minutes, Jared had covered himself in gasoline and set himself on fire. Hundreds of people saw it live on Facebook. Alyssa saw it live in person. Jared died shortly after that from his injuries. Alyssa told me about Jared, what drew her to him, about their relationship, and how she handled his death, and how she's enjoying her new sense of freedom. In the show notes for this episode, you can see the Facebook Live video that Jared created that night. Obviously, that video will not be suitable for everyone, so view it at your own discretion. Also in the show notes, I'll have links to some of the resources that Alyssa talks about that are available to help domestic violence victims. And the show notes for this episode are at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash 16. And now, here's my conversation with Alyssa. How did you and Jared meet? Jared and I met, um, it was probably 2015, I think, um, I was playing in rock bands in Memphis. I'm a bass player in a band. And um, he saw me perform and came up afterwards and said that he liked my band a lot. And we became Facebook friends. And I noticed that he worked at Ardent Recording Studio, which is a very popular recording studio. And um, I had been working at this little kind of home studio sort of thing. I was I was a studio rat as well. So we just really hit it off because we both had the same interests, not only just being musicians, but specifically being audio engineers. And after that, it was it was very obvious that we should become 
partners, you know? What did you especially like about him? Jared was absolutely a genius. He, I mean, even to this day, I will say that is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And a lot of it was really manipulative because he knew that he was smarter than you and he could use that against you. But at the same time, you know, you could show him a guitar that you bought from a pawn shop and ask him to say everything that he knew about it. And he would have a mile long list of of these just little facts and tidbits. And, and it wasn't just music that he was smart about. He, he had baseball statistics memorized and like he was just, just anything. He was brilliant. He was very, very smart. Did, Did you think he was quote unquote, the one for you? Oh, definitely. I totally did. I, I thought I never wanted to have kids and I wanted to have kids with this dude and I wanted to marry him. And it, it obviously at the, at the beginning, it was like, you know, you, everybody kind of goes through that little exciting love phase in the first couple months where everything just seems too good to be true. And just imagine that feeling times a million because I think his idea was he wanted to kind of just love bomb me and sort of just give me everything that I wanted in the first couple of months and make everything as smooth as possible in the first couple of months. And that way I would be more shocked when I found out who he really was and it would be harder for me to escape. And it seemed intentional how, how much he, um, I don't know how to phrase it, how much he molded himself into being the perfect person for me. He kind of overdid it, but you didn't recognize it at the time that that's what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. I thought that I, it was, I just found the one, you know? What was your first indication that something was not right? I, from the beginning, he told me that he had a bipolar disorder. So I think I had already expected things to go sour at times. So even originally when things went wrong, I still had this excuse like, oh, he's bipolar. This isn't him. This is his mental illness acting up. So it took a while for me to realize how drastically wrong I was. I think. Probably the first time that he got violent with me was the when it really sank in. Can you describe the first time he physically abused you? Uh, the first time was, I, I guess, less severe than what one might expect. We were at our recording studio, and I don't remember the argument at all, but I remember him grabbing me by the wrist and dragging me into the bathroom and saying, this is it. I'm going to kill you. Now you're going to die. And before this, I hadn't ever remember him threatening my life. He had said that he would kill himself before. And he had said that, you know, he had accused me of certain things, but he had never said outright, I'm going to kill you. And so that was the first real violent act. And, um, he pinned me against the wall and it scraped my hand and I was bleeding from my hand. And it was really easy for me to not blame him because though, I don't know. I don't know. I would say 
that, however, that was the first truly violent incident, even though it wasn't exactly violent. How how bad did that did the abuse get? I mean, it was. I I'm I don't know what to compare it to, and I know that I shouldn't compare it to anything. But I I'm I was for about a year just constantly under this fear that I was going to be killed by this guy. Like he made it so, so obvious that he was willing to kill either me or himself or both of us. I would say one of the most severe things that he did was choke me to the point where I, I started blacking out. But even he never like punched me, which I think a lot of people when they, think of domestic abuse, they imagine like their boyfriends punching their partner, slapping their partner. And he hit me once, but it was very, like I said, it didn't hurt very much. It didn't really leave a mark. I was just kind of red for a minute. So it's, it's really strange, like talking about violence in a domestic abuse situation because what I was more afraid of was the words that he said more so than any of the violence. You know, he he threatened me constantly like saying he would kill me and he would hold knives and say that he would kill me. And it got to the point where he would bring a gun to my house or like show up to my house with a gun and say he would kill me. And so none of these are actually, he never physically touched me in these scenarios, but those were always by far the most terrifying because if he was choking me, at least I, I knew what he was doing. But if he had a knife in his hand, I had no idea what could happen. You know, I'm just thinking about the average person listening to this, listening to you describe your relationship with him. And the obvious question that comes up is, why did you stay with him? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, I remember before I was in an abusive relationship, kind of scoffing almost at both men and women thinking why how could somebody stay in a situation that's so awful do they not have any respect for themselves or do they not know that they can do better and I after being in an abusive relationship and someone just imagine your neighbor threatens you every single day with a gun in his hand that he's going to kill you and you've called the cops multiple times and the cops don't really do anything about it. And you've told your friends and they don't really believe you because they think that the neighbor's a really nice guy. And you've told it, it, it's when somebody, when you believe that someone will kill you for making a wrong move, you don't make wrong moves. So you stay because there's, a chance that you or a better chance of you staying alive if you do in some ways. I don't know. I was looking at some sheets that I got from uh, the family safety center after trying to get him arrested at one point. And it has this checklist of things that you're supposed to do. And one of them is like, if your partner is around you, don't go into a kitchen or a bathroom where there are hard surfaces where they can push you against and hurt you. And I don't think people realize just how how intricate abusers are and how they're so dangerous that you can't even be in a bathroom with them. And 
And so when you ask, why didn't you leave? Well, Jared, he constantly took my phone and went through all of my texts. So I couldn't tell anybody that I wanted to leave. He would read my emails. If I would change my password, he would threaten me with a knife and say, tell me what your password is or I'm going to kill you. You don't leave because you can't leave. It might, you think it might be safer to stay than it is to leave? For a lot of women and men, yes, it's definitely safer. Tell us about the, the night at the bar. You, you worked at a bar at the time, and this is when this whole event happened. Can you just take us through what happened there? The week prior, Jared had been showing up to my house with weapons, and I'd had to contact the police multiple times. I went in to get a restraining against or a restraining order against him and it was being processed that week. I at one point I had contacted the police when he showed up to my house with a gun and they came and I gave them his wrong birth date. I said he was born February 22nd, 86 and his actual birthday was like 84. And so they looked him up and they're like this guy's not on probation. And I was like, "Yes, he is." He yes. Yes, this is very serious. Please take me seriously. And so nothing happened because of that, because I gave them the wrong information. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV, and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. 
And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. So a couple days went by where the police hadn't contacted me or anything. So I went to the Family Safety Center. They noticed that I'd given them the wrong date, and then they changed it to his actual birthday, and his probation stuff popped up. And they were like, oh, we this guy is serious. We actually, yeah. We, we need to find him and get him. So I assumed that since they had made that correction that the police were just going to go right to his house and arrest him. So I had taken off work that entire week because I was in hiding. I was staying at my best friend Will's house uh, because Jared didn't know where this was. And so I get the arrest warrant and uh, the restraining order is going through its processing. Uh, so I assumed I was safe to go to work. And so I did because I needed money. I'm broke. I'm an audio engineer and I ran sound at this bar and there, you know, for several hours, I didn't hear of anything. I was of course nervous and I'd let the bar owner and the workers know that, uh, what was going on. In fact, Jared had shown up at Murphy's that week. So they knew that he was in the process of stalking me actively. And I don't know, a couple bands played and then this next band came on and I was supposed to be recording them because I, like I said, I've got a studio in my meantime, so I was going to mix their uh, live recording. And so I'm setting up my microphones and my audio interface and I've got them all sitting at the edge of the stage waiting for the band to set up. And I walk back to my console and I look at my phone and Jared sent me a message that says, I didn't threaten anybody. I can't go to jail. I'm going to kill myself. So I guess he had found out that there was a warrant for his arrest at that point. And at that point, I called his roommate to ask, hey, where's Jared? And it's a little bit of a blur. I, I wasn't on the phone with his roommate when I saw Jared walk in. But it must have been moments after I'd gotten off the phone. Jared came in. He was shirtless and covered in this kind of shiny liquid. And I had known, he had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. And that's how he would kill himself. And the reason that he did this is because when I was a kid, my father set a pile of his clothes on fire in our house in front of my mother and a bunch of his other possessions while saying, look what you're doing to me. You're, you're destroying me because they were getting divorced. And so I woke up to that and witnessed that as a kid. And it just kind of scarred me, I guess. And then when I was 21, the, uh, the apartment that I was living in burnt down. And so that was another kind of fire trigger. And uh, Jared knew out of everything on the planet, fire kind of makes me nervous because of my experiences with it. So I think that he thought, oh, 
This would be a great way to get back at her. So he shows up to the bar and walks in, like I said, shirtless, covered in gasoline. And he grabs my arm and rubs it down his chest and says, I'm going to do it. I love you. And then he kissed me on the lips and walked out. And I started following him. And some of the people at the bar had known, you know, obviously that he was a threat and he was abusive. So they came out with me. My friend Paul went as far as running across the street trying to kick the matches or lighter or whatever out of Jared's hands. I had a woman named Stephanie came outside. A woman named Ben came out. And I don't think anybody had any idea other than me what was about to happen. And he had already started the Facebook Live broadcast at this point. Yeah, right? so on the face or that that video, if you watch it, you turn it on and it looks like he's adjusting his camera and sitting it down. And then he gets up. And in that period, that's when he comes into the bar and has his little last words with me. And then he comes back, and that's the point where we had all run outside. Um, so you can even see in the video, like, this moment of him going in, and that's where he talked to me, and then he comes back out. And at this point, he's across the street, and I stay across the street from him. I don't approach him or anything. And um, he, I guess, yeah, he he set himself on fire at that point. And since Paul was so close to it, Paul got, I think maybe like third degree burns on his legs because of it. And Jared starts to run across the street and my friends who are outside, they obviously start screaming and running and they, for some reason, I think when the brain goes into shock, you don't, really have any clue what you're doing so they all try to run back into murphy's instead of just scattering and so i felt this need to hold the door open for them but then jared runs across the street and so i try and close the door and lock it and jared's just right on the other side of it and the only thing separating us is this piece of glass and the heat is so intense that i lasted maybe like three seconds tops, even though it felt like five minutes trying to lock the door just so he couldn't come inside because I was afraid that not only was he going to try and hurt me and grab me, but that the bar would burn down or somebody else would get hurt. So it doesn't work. So I think I have this memory of looking back and telling everybody to run. And I see the bartender, Steve coming out with a fire extinguisher. And I just say, thank you, Steve. I'm sorry. And I, walk out the building or I've run out the building, you know, and it was, it was just awful. I mean, people were screaming for a solid five, 10 minutes, which that doesn't sound very intense, but when you're in that situation where somebody's so upset that they just are screaming because they're so inconsolable, it, it's frightening. And there are people vomiting there are a lot of people throwing up be just from the sight of jared being on fire watching someone burn to death well this was I mean, what they were seeing was probably the most traumatic thing that they had ever seen or will ever see and 
at this point, since he was since he had already broadcasted on Facebook, that was still going, I guess. Um, and some people saw it on Facebook Live, including your sister Sarah, and several people called nine one one at that point. Yeah. Memphis Police Department, may I help you? Hi, ma'am. My name is. I um I actually live in Rochester, Minnesota but I used to live in Memphis. I just saw a Facebook friend go on Facebook Live and light himself on fire. I don't know where he is, but I have his name. Okay. Did he did he say where he was or anything like that, ma'am? He didn't give a geographic location, but he is in Memphis. Okay, because I think we are working something similar to that, but what is, what is his name? Jared McLemore, M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E. You said Jared McLemore? Yeah, J-A-R-E-D. All right. I will let the officers know that, but we do have it. Okay, thank you, ma'am. I just wanted to make sure. I was appalled when I saw I'm so sorry. That's okay. Thank you for calling, ma'am. Yep, bye-bye. Memphis 911 emergency. Do you need to please fire an ambulance? I... I actually didn't know what else to do, so I called 911. I do not need anybody at my location, but my sister's abusive ex-boyfriend, his name is Jared McLemore, he is somewhere in Memphis. I do not know where, but he is live on Facebook. He just poured gasoline on himself and set himself on fire. Yes, ma'am. So I, I just... I just, in all good conscience, needed to report that, and I don't, I didn't know what else to do. Should I call a non-emergency police number? No, uh, we have a call where officers are in route. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to give your name? My name is... And you said that's your sister's ex-boyfriend? Yes, he is her abuser. She has filed police reports. What's his, currently a what's his name? For his, arrest. his name is Jared McLemore. Jared McLemore? Yes. How old is Mr. McLemore? Uh, he's in his 30s. 32, 33, 34, I'm not sure. In early 30s. He's a, he's a male white? White yeah. male, early 30s. Okay. And he did it on Facebook Live? Yes, ma'am. I have the notification on my phone. My partner tracked down the video. My mother called me to tell me that this happened. She just was on Facebook and saw it. So I, I got off the phone and called 911 because I wasn't sure what else to do, but this is obviously an emergency. Yes, ma'am. Well, we do have the information. I did update and get uh, to advise the officer, okay? Okay, thank you. He thank you. warrant out for his arrest, so okay, for domestic me. violence and assault against Lissa Moore. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Bye. Did you communicate with him at all when you were standing there face-to-face? on the other side of the door? No, I didn't. Well, I don't think I've been asked that before. No, I, I, 
distinctly remember looking into his eyes, though, into his face, and just having this this moment of of finally realizing, okay, this relationship is exactly as bad as I thought it was. This is because he was so good at convincing me that I was the person who was the abuser in the relationship, just so he wouldn't have to have any responsibility. But that moment of seeing his face on the other side of the door on fire, trying to get into a building. I I saw his phone on the ground. And so I knew he was live streaming it on Facebook. Uh, Actually, it wasn't even that I saw his phone on the ground. What it was is when he came into Murphy's, you know, I just, I mentioned that I was on the phone with his roommate and putting my phone down or I just had my phone in my hand and I saw this Jared McLemore's live on Facebook notification. And he had threatened in the past that he was going to kill himself on Facebook. So the whole world could see what I had done to him. So I had already made all these connections, but yeah, seeing, seeing him on fire and screaming and just knowing that he would try and blame me for it or that he would say it was my fault it all just kind of sank in that, oh, this is way more severe than I ever gave credit for. Do you think he wanted to kill you that night as well? I have so many people ask me that, and I do kind of a bad job of flip-flopping back and forth. Because if he wanted to kill me, he could have done it much more easily. You know, he had come to my house multiple times with guns. He could have shot me. He could have choked me to the point of death the times that he tried to choke me. I I've seen footage that hasn't been shown to anybody from the Murphy's cameras where you can see him grabbing at me when I'm turned around and running away from him. It looks like he's trying to grab onto me. And so my brain flip-flops back and forth between, oh, well, he was just trying to keep his balance and just falling and stumbling over because he was in so much pain. And then the other part of me is like, no, he wanted to take you down. He's trying to grab your shirt. Look, he's specifically grasping for you. I, I think that it's probably fair to say that, yeah, he was trying to kill me as well, or that maybe he wasn't sold on killing me, but that he wouldn't have cared if he did. I don't know. I have no idea, honestly. So he ended up, he died the next morning, right? He got taken to the hospital, and but they couldn't uh, save him. Correct. He, I was told that he had third degree burns on 80% of his body. And I remember I was told that by a paramedic that night. And so when I got home that night, I looked up the survival chances of that because I had an aunt who was in a car accident and she uh, caught on fire along with her car and had very similar statistic and she survived and she still is alive today and she's fine and healthy. And so I, that night going home, I assumed that he was just, he was going to live because he was alive and talking when they dragged him out of Murphy's. I could hear him howling in pain from outside as the ambulances were showing up. And so I knew he was alive. And then I went home and looked up the survival rate. And it was something like 10% for the the injuries that he had received. So 
I got a call from his mom at maybe 7 or 8 a.m. And I didn't answer it because I was terrified to. I saw that Jackson, Tennessee area code and I just let it go to voicemail. And it was very short, succinct, just Jared died this morning. I thought you'd like to know goodbye. Did you grieve his death? Yeah, I definitely did. And I think that I it's been a while since I've had any real grieving moments, but I think that I might continue to still. Um, I, yeah, I, it's hard to explain. I mean, I want to go and defend myself and say I, I was in love with the idea of this person. So I think I grieved more, not him, but who I thought he was, or I grieved just for the fact that this had happened at all, that this person who was incredibly intelligent, like I said, and the most incredible guitar player player I've ever heard and some other good qualities that it sucks that he was 33 and he died because of an awful decision. It was a very preventable death. Grieve is a weird word for it, but yeah, I don't know. He was my best friend for a long time. And as much as I don't defend him and dislike him and recognize his evil nature now, I still, I'm a human and I grieve loss, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about what it, what is your sense of freedom like now? It's baffling (laughs) it's really it's very strange because I think when it comes to me being in an abusive relationship a lot of that had to do with growing up in a very similar environment and so my whole life I had never known what it meant to be treated correctly by a person for the most part I was just recycling the same habits and the same scenarios for my childhood into my adult life and then seeing just how bad it got was this huge wake-up call for me and I essentially realized that I had to relearn everything that I had ever learned about love and relationships and how to treat someone and how to be treated especially and having that knowledge and that freedom and that that I don't know how to phrase it. Have, knowing that it doesn't have to be like that is the most exhilarating thing in the planet. And that um, I do a lot more now. <laughs> like Jared used to hate when I would record my own solo songs because he would be jealous of the attention I would get. Or he would hate if I put a selfie on Facebook because I was just being a slut or whatever derogatory term he wanted to label me with. And now I just, I don't have those fears or the only fear that I have. It's just all in myself. And once I recognize that, Hey, this isn't my own voice. This is Jared's voice or my dad's voice or my mom's voice. And your guts telling you to do this one thing and your heart's telling you the other and just learning how to navigate how to trust myself 
has been the most liberating thing ever. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a long process though, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. But it, I don't know if it's rude or crude to joke about it, but Jared doing what he did was really helped speed the process up a little bit. I was able to take that event and realize just how insane and awful it was. And, you know, my brain was like, okay, this isn't happening again. You're, you're not getting into this situation again. You're changing, you're learning. The severity of what I went through made it really easy for me to want to change and to, to be free and to not ever get in that situation again. And to learn the red flags and the signs and how uh, boundaries and how to stick up for myself. And that's part of what I wanted to ask you about too, is how does someone actually identify excessive love versus actual abuse? Oh man. Do you, what kind of signs would you look for? I think it, of course it varies from person to person, but I think some of the most obvious ones that I hear from, especially other women that I've talked to who've been abused is this lack of responsibility. If your partner, anytime you have a problem that you bring up and your partner tries to say that it's your fault, things are like that. That's, a huge sign. If somebody approaches you with a problem, your mindset should be to work at things out together, not to deflect uh, responsibility and to blame the other person. And of course, everybody's just human and that's a very human thing to do. But when it becomes a habitual pattern of never taking responsibility for anything, then you're dealing with somebody who is not interested in making things work. They're just interested in being this idea of perfect. It seems like it seems like the elements of control and manipulation are big factors here. Oh, definitely. But the thing about manipulation in particular is that by definition, manipulation is very hard to detect or else it wouldn't be called that it would be, called something else and have another definition. So you people who are manipulated often don't even realize that they're being manipulated because it's so sneaky and so intentionally hidden. So I, I'm always reluctant to tell people like, look out for manipulative behavior because if it wasn't hard to detect, then it wouldn't be as bad as it is you know Uh, i'm not sure if i'm getting that point across but no i understand yeah manipulation is a huge one for sure but it's often the hardest to detect especially if you're right in the situation too maybe an outsider looking in might be able to figure it out but exactly i'm trying to think of maybe an example with jared would be like i don't know oh let's say he I was in a band, the band that I mentioned at the beginning of the story, and our drummer was not able to practice as much as me and the guitarist were. And so Jared came along and was like, oh, well, you know, you should just get rid of your drummer and I'll play drums for y'all. And he 
at the time, it sounded like a great idea, but it was actually very manipulative of him to try and break up my band that was fine to begin with and to join it so he could be more involved in my life. And so that's an, a version of manipulation where it seems like he's actually doing something nice, but in the long run, it was actually all for his own benefit. If someone's listening to this and they are in an abusive relationship, what would your advice to them be? My advice is that so many people have these misconceptions about domestic abuse, which makes them not very great to seek advice from. I think it's incredibly important to contact the National uh, Domestic Violence Abuse Network. Um, contact people with credentials or, or you know, long-term service workers or Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know how to handle domestic violence. And it's such a serious and severe situation that you really do need somebody who has experience. I remember a lot of times contacting my friends and trying to explain my situation. And they would say, oh, well, if he's not hurting you, then he's probably just needs his medications to be changed or something or another. You know? So people can give really bad advice that can keep you in danger. And so just be mindful of that in particular, that if your gut is telling you that you need to leave the relationship and somebody tells you, no, I think you're wrong. Don't listen to them. <laughs> listen to your gut instead. Yeah. Listen to your gut. And I think, like I said, I contacted the National Domestic Violence Center and um, they were incredibly helpful because, as I mentioned, Jared wasn't very physically violent with me as much as he was emotionally abusive. And they did a very good job of convincing me that that was even more detrimental to me. Whereas my friends saw it as, oh, well, if he's not violent, then he's fine. But they're not the experts. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So that's my, I, it's an odd piece of advice, but truly if you have the privilege to contact an expert in privacy and secretly, that would be my advice before going to a friend, unless you know for a fact that your friend is aware of how severe domestic violence is. Well, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're doing much better. Definitely. Oh man, I couldn't be happier. It's strange to say that after how awful that event was, but it it's so nice to not live in fear. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Alyssa, thanks so much for sharing your story, and I'm glad it turned out well and that you're doing well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. My goal for each show is to introduce you to people and stories that you just won't find on other podcasts. If you want to help support the show, you just need to subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode. You can click on any of the subscribe buttons on the website, which is whatwasthatlike.com. You'll see all the links right there at the top where you can subscribe directly to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, 
Stitcher Radio, or on whatever app you use to catch your podcasts. And you'll see there are also links to Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow us there, and I hope you do. And if you really want to connect with me and get in on the discussion with other listeners to this show, you can join our private Facebook group. You can find that at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash Facebook. And of course, you can always email me directly at scott at whatwasthatlike.com or just go to the website and click on contact. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode or a previous episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the next show where we'll once again ask the question, what was that like?